It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Bianca Padilla, CEO and co-founder of CareWell. CareWell is a family-founded company that simplifies life for caregivers by providing personalized service, compassionate content, and expert-vetted home care products. A graduate of New York University with a BA in economics, Bianca attended the Disney Institute and formed the Charlotte chapter of Aging 2.0. Prior to founding CareWell, Bianca worked as a software engineer at Live Ninja and as an analyst for CCMP Capital Advisors and Pantheon Ventures. A Miami native, Bianca enjoys spending time with her co-founder husband Jonathan and toy poodle Henry, traveling, being an unabashed foodie, and reading books about entrepreneurship, leadership, tech, and comedy. Bianca Padilla, welcome into the corner office. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me. Oh, it's great to hear your voice again. We spoke a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I know a storm is approaching in Miami, so let's hope it doesn't give us too much uh, harm. But uh, with that aside, how are f- things going down in Florida? We've heard so much about the pandemic, and it seems like Florida is the epicenter again. How are you? How's your family? And more importantly, how are all the employees at Carewell? We're good. I'm actually uh, in in the mountains in North Carolina, ah. uh, which is why my internet could be spotty up here. I actually left Florida because you know COVID's getting really really yes. bad, right, uh, right. and I want to make sure that I'm safe and sound. And yeah, uh, it's uh, harder to catch COVID when you're far away from people. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm sure it's beautiful up there. Well, and it I'm is. glad that uh, things are going well, and I'm sure this has been a very busy time, and I want to talk about Carewell and the great stuff that you're doing. But let's start a little bit with you. T- tell us a little bit about your early years, you know, where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I grew up uh, born and raised in Miami, Florida, and um, came from a you know pretty normal background, uh, mm-hmm. as you can imagine in, in Miami, many, many people are Hispanic and specifically right. Cuban. Uh, okay. So I happen to be a Cuban American, uh, first generation. First generation, second generation, third <laughs> yes, generation. First generation. First generation, cool. Um, you know, my, my uh, uh, anyways, so yeah, born and raised in Miami and um, had a pretty normal life, you know, uh, went to, uh, graduated high school, ended up going to uh, NYU. Uh, for college and studying economics and business mm. while I was there. Uh, initially, I actually thought that I would go into finance and mm. I had done a few uh, internships in private equity. And right. uh, after spending a few summers, I realized you know, my real calling ever since I was a kid was really 
I wanted to start my own company. I wanted to make a difference in that way. Uh, And so uh, after I graduated uh, from college, I ended up going to a a coding boot camp to learn uh, software engineering. And I took my first job as a software engineer. I knew if I wanted to start a company, I'm going to need to know how to manage uh, engineering teams, uh, you know, because we're in the world of technology now. Absolutely. And uh, about a year later, um, I, well, actually, a few weeks on the job, I ended up going on a first date with my now husband, Jonathan. And on that first date is is actually where we conceptualized the idea for CareWell. Uh, where he, he brought up to me the idea of uh, an adult diaper subscription service. And I, I fell in love with it. I had, you know, and I, I'm sure you'll ask me about this later. Um, <laughs> but I had some personal experience in, in caregiving and, and watching my mom do it and trying to help her. And so I thought it was a really neat idea, a really unique, massive market. And, and we ended up partnering together and, and, and going on that journey. And, and that's how we built CareWell. Awesome. Cool. Well, I want to get into that a little bit, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about the early years. Now, mom and dad immigrated from, from Cuba originally? Did yes. They, um, yep. So it, my dad it. actually got here. Actually, my mom was born in New Jersey. She was the okay. first um, of, of um, her parents' uh, right. children to be born here. Yeah. Um, in, and then my dad moved here when he was uh, 12 or 14 years old. Uh, right. So he ended up going from, from Cuba to Spain spending some time there that was you know one of the 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 only places they could go at the time uh and then coming to uh, once my uh the rest of our family came to miami he ended up joining um or uh reconvening with their family uh later on brothers and sisters yep i've got uh two sisters uh one who's closer in my age and one who's uh six or seven years old right now all right cool cool and mom and dad what kind of careers did they have were they entrepreneurs like you've turned out to be yep uh, so my mom was a uh, uh, stay-at-home mom, and right. my dad was an entrepreneur uh, in Latin America. So we spent uh, many, many summers uh, between Venezuela, Panama, Colombia, uh, where he was uh, operating businesses. And, and awesome. um, you know, that was one of the great things about my life is I got to see that. I got to uh, – he would take us, me and my sister, uh, Victoria, uh, who's closer in my age, to China, to the World Trade Fair, Uh, And a bunch of really unique uh, experiences that, you know, just really opened my eyes to the possibilities and and something that I'm really thankful for today. Now, we talked a little bit about your university degree. Did you do all your secondary schooling in Miami? Did you grow up in the public schools there or did you get educated outside? No, I I, uh, was educated in Miami. Uh, So born, raised and went all through secondary school. Uh, and then ended up, uh, like I said, graduating and going to NYU. Yeah, awesome. What about entrepreneurial things as a kid? Did you explore oh, some of those uh, early on? Oh, ever ever since I was uh, <laughs> six, seven years old, since I can remember. Cool. Uh, and there's plenty of stories of yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, my family loves to tell and pictures. But, I mean, early on from car washes to selling Pokemon cards door to door, uh, in eighth grade, I actually, if you've ever seen the television series, it's like a kid's show called Recess. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're, one, of the, uh, one of the characters has like a jacket where he opens up and he's like sells all these watches and things like that. Um, so I actually invented that uh, during my seventh or eighth grade year in, in, uh, in middle school. And I, I pinned a bunch of candy to the inside of my school jacket. <laughs> and so I would, I would uh, sell that at school. 
Uh, and then in high school, I ended up uh, doing a few kind of entrepreneurial things through some some uh, prom parties and things like that. Um, so it was just really fun and and um, definitely realized after that I did not want to go into event planning. Incredibly stressful, <laughs> and you don't get to really enjoy the night. Um, but uh, allowed me to to help you know save some money because uh, I always knew I, w- I wanted to start my own company at one point yeah. or another. So did you save? Did, did you set that aside or were there things oh, yeah. that you uh, explored with it? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've always been a huge saver. Um, yeah. the, the joke in my family is that they'd take me to Toys R Us and I wouldn't pick anything. <laughs> it was not uh, the type of kid who liked to spend money. I right. always just would say like, oh, can I just have the cash? Um, right. Which is weird because you know, what was I doing with it? I don't know, but I just always wanted to have it just so that I can use it always uh, for a future business or a company. Sure. Sure. Um, well, how did you make your decision about what college to go to? Because I, I think you obviously, as you mentioned earlier, you uh, came up to New York when that was a big, big shift, obviously, yeah. geographically. What, what drew you up here? Um, gosh. So NYU is my first choice. I applied early action, mm. Uh, mm. which is basically like a non-binding decision. You find out, you know, prior to um, having to apply to any other school, whether you got in or not. Um, and so that was really nice because then, you know, I got in, I saved a bunch of money on application fees and, uh, and pretty much, you know, set the path. But, you know, there was a few things that attracted me to NYU. One, the alumni, you know, there were Mm. a bunch of different, uh, people from entrepreneurs to, you know, uh, successful kind of, you know, public figures, uh, that went there. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's like the most famous school in the world or has the most applicants or something. Uh, mm-hmm. So obviously it's well known, uh, but two, they had these these few programs that I thought were really unique. Uh, they had, you know, this theater school. They had a, a mm. really great business school. They have this uh, school called Gallatin, which you can create your own major. And so, given kind of the nature of who I am, I always wanted to have as much flexibility, as much options to explore and see, you know, what I would like. Um, I knew that I I didn't necessarily have to go to school for business to to go into and and run a business, uh, that it would be helpful. Uh, I learned that just, you know, being around my dad and and being around other people who run businesses, many of them, you know, it's a it's a type of job that you learn on the job. Um, So I ended up uh, ended up going very traditionally uh, either way, you know, all these options. And of course, I ended up choosing economics because the first few courses, I mean, I just fell in love. I didn't yeah. even know what economics was. I'd never taken a class. Um, and so, yeah, I took, uh, I think it was like Macroeconomics 101. I love the professor. And I just love the concepts behind economics and cool. ended up choosing that. And I minored in business because um, I knew I wanted to take some formal kind of accounting and finance classes that I, I knew would be beneficial. And yeah. kind of my dad always <laughs> was very uh, big proponent of understanding your, your three financial statements and how they work and making right. sure you right. uh, can audit them yourself. So uh, that's that was kind of the path there. Did your entrepreneurial activities follow you to NYU? Were you involved in things in the, during college days as well? That, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and tell us about uh, some of those. So, um, so I always had, you know, always had a job throughout college. Uh, my first job was like in retail. I worked at actually one of the Kardashian stores called Dash. Mm. Uh, It was a Dash doll there, um, which was fun. You get to meet a lot of different people who walk through those doors and, you know, ended up kind of managing their social media for a little while. Um, and then after that, I ended up, uh, starting, I guess my first startup company in college, Mm. um, just the summer after. And I met, uh, really 
great friend of mine now and, and mentor, uh, but he was my first boss. Uh, his name's Jeremy. And uh, essentially, you know, I had pitched this idea during a kind of business competition that I, mm. I literally came up with on the spot and it was Stasher and it was an app for kids to stash their cash. And since I was a kid who loved, uh, you know, saving and making money, I figured, well, you know, it kind of sucks that I never really had access to a bank account. I never really, you know, could check how much money I had. It was just, you know, in this faraway place that I never really knew about. Um, right. And I had my godson at the time who was maybe seven or eight. And, uh, you know, every time I sent him money, I was like, well, I really hope it's going to his bank account. Who knows what he's spending it on or what he's doing, you know? Right. And, uh, and that's kind of how I conceptualized that idea and ended Ooh. up, um, you know, like my friend Jeremy ended up uh, being the first investor. Um, and so it was kind of a savings plan for others. Is that kind of how it worked? Yeah, or? it was. Uh, yeah. So you would have chores. So it was like a bank account for kids, but you'd have right. chores that would be tied to, um, like incentives, right? Whether it's a dollar, two dollars, or you know, TV time and things like that. Uh, so you can incentivize your kids to work hard and be rewarded for it. Um, and then it was really, you know, tailored to the kids, so it looked fun. It had like a ninja bear and a bunch of stuff, so that the kids actually wanted to use it. Um, ended up failing, um, you know, within a year or two, uh, primarily because we just didn't know how to manage the engineering team. Um, huh. And so that's. Did you outsource that, or what was your? Uh... Yeah, we outsourced it and we didn't mm -hmm. understand anything about the development process or, you know, mm -hmm. how to QA or anything like that. Right. Um, and so we ran into a bunch of issues and, you know, ultimately I decided, listen, if I want to start a company, I really have to learn engineering. I've got yeah. to learn how the technology works so I can at least manage and understand what is going on. Right. Uh, right. And so when I graduated, uh, rather than taking a job in finance, I went and I took a, a software engineering course. Oh, okay. um, and it. that's how I got my first job as a software engineer. Awesome. Awesome. And who was that with? Uh, so that was with the company Live Ninja. Uh, they okay. were purchased a uh, few years back uh, by uh, another company. Um, and there was like it was like the quintessential Miami startup. We used yeah. to have like Waffle Wednesdays at the office where the <laughs> startup community, you know, would kind of uh, come every Wednesday. And uh, it was really an awesome experience and, and loved the guys who, who ran and sold that business. Uh, and they're still in Miami and, and major part of the, the Miami tech scene. Right, right, cool. And uh, did you manage people in that position as well, or did that come a little bit later in your uh, career as it developed? Yeah, no, I mean, I was, you know, the bot. I was a junior engineer, so I right. did not manage anybody. Um, that leader, that leadership component, that management component, definitely came uh, at Carewell. Got it. So during the year you were there, is that when you met Jonathan, your husband? Yep. So I think okay. three, four weeks on the job, uh, yeah. he he asked me out on a date. Uh, through a Facebook Messenger uh, text, I guess. So uh, he wasn't at Live Ninja as well? He, he was, was not at Live Ninja, okay. no. Got it. Um, yeah. He knew some of the people uh, who worked there because, uh, you know, Miami's a small kind of community. Sure. Um, yeah. and, and we hit it off. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about kind of how the concept came up because obviously it's a, a little bit different than, you know, what you had done, you know, in your early work experience and some of the entrepreneurial things. Did you always kind of have a, uh, you know, a soft spot for helping and caring for people? Was that kind of how you got into it? Did you see a need? Give us a little bit of the impetus around Carewell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it really started uh, the idea for it or, or the, the, the need, I guess, uh, I had recognized 
when I moved back home from college and my grandmother had uh, surgery and was in a, in a kind of a rehab rehabilitation center. Uh, and then we had to bring her home. And so when we brought her home, it was really challenging. I mean, it was, you know, up to my mom who had recently gone back to work um, and who was still caring for my younger sister who was in high school. And it was causing, you know, major strain, having to care for someone, having mm -hmm. to figure out what products they needed, making sure she got, you know, the, the right nutrition and was taking all the medicines. Mm -hmm. uh, so obviously, you know, I saw this and I, you know, I offered to help. Um, and so immediately, you know, I went online as a, as a millennial and looked for resources and looked for which products we should be buying. And I was just completely shocked that mm. there was nothing, uh, for family caregivers. And I'd mentioned earlier, I'd worked in private equity and I spent some time on a healthcare team and I knew, mm. you know, that the 65 plus demographic was, you know, getting bigger and bigger every day. I think it's 10,000 mm -hmm. new, uh, 65 plus year olds, um, enter into that age range every single day. Right. Uh, and so I was, you know, shocked that there wasn't anything like, a mm. like a baby center or guides or blogs, like there is for newborns for right. the aging population, right? Cause there's going to be more uh, 65 year olds, uh, plus or seniors than there, there are under the age of 18. That's right. Uh, yeah. so, you know, that, that's kind of what, what the idea uh, for it. And then when John mentioned on our first date that he came up with this idea and wanted a, a hackathon over it mm. uh, for an adult diaper subscription service, I thought, oh my gosh, that's brilliant because I'm going through that right now. I yeah. understand the pain. Uh, I understand, you know, how many questions there are and, and just how overwhelming and stressful it can be. And I think that there really is a, is a need here. It's a massive market. Um, you know, can we do this together? And is it a product need? Is it an information need? Because, I mean, you know, you, these products have been around for a while. It, yeah. Was it just a question of making sure that the, you know, caregivers had the information? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I always say it's it's similar to kind of like a, a Chewy.com, but even more of a high-touch, personalized approach. Uh, so the products exist, but if you, you go, you, you know, you've never heard about these these home health care products, uh, likely, right? right? right. You're new to Very caregiving. Very specialized, probably in different parts of the store or, or yep. specialty stores, I would imagine. And they're specialty stores, exactly. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was uh, going to say next. You know, you, yeah. you just can't go into, uh, you know, your local pharmacy. Right. They don't have that selection. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you're kind of forced to go to these, you know, one-off specialty stores that are inconvenient and they're very expensive, or you go online and, you right. know, online, there's no one to help you. Uh, yeah. There's no one to ask questions to. There's no one to, to guide you. And and that was the, the need and, and my need that I had uh, when I was, you know, searching right. online. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what was shocking to me was that there was no player yet. You know, there, there was a hmm. lot of these kind of niche, um, you know, lower quality kind of experience. There were, you know, 20, 30 year old businesses that had thrown up a website. Uh, there was really no focus around the customer experience and, and personalized service and support. Uh, and so that was that was really the idea behind Carewell. It, it wasn't so much a subscription service. Sure. It was really about creating that one-stop shop yeah. where you can come to us, you can ask us what it is that you need. We'll make those expert recommendations and you can be on your way and, and feel uh, confident in, in what you purchased and, and uh, you know, if you don't know how to use them when you get home, you can also call right. us back and, and we'll show you how to do it. So, yeah. uh, so a lot of handholding um, and, and part of this year, we're relaunching our resource center and coming out with, you know, thousands of articles that um, are very actionable. 
so they'll tell you here's what you need to buy here's how to make your, your purchasing decision here are the the important uh, features to consider uh as well as you know uh, checklists of, of things mm. that you should have and so uh bianca do you actually take uh, uh title to products as well and, and act as a distributor or are you more providing recommendations to people as to where to get the products they need yeah, it's both. We we okay. make the recommendations and we also ship out the actual products and the orders. Right, right. Cool, cool. And then the information that you provide, it's kind of like a, a community then. People can come in and read blogs and kind of get additional information. Is that kind of also part of the part of the plan? Absolutely. And yeah. it, the, the thing that's most important and unique to our business is really our customer care team. So we've got this this team of trained experts who go through three weeks of empathy and product training, oh, uh, wow. and they're uh, the ones who actually twenty percent of our revenue comes in over the phone, and that is just wow. completely, um, you know, different to any e-commerce company where sure. you know less than one percent of orders come in via the phone, and yeah. and that's really because people need that guidance and they want to feel that support and that they're right. doing the right thing, right? Because you're caring for somebody who you love so much, you want to make sure you're making the right yeah. decision. Yeah. Um, awesome. And we're also able to save them a lot of time, right? Sometimes if you, if you don't have the time to go online and try to figure this out yourself, it's really nice to be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, this is the issue I'm having. Please right. make a recommendation to me. Yeah. And so people, yeah. uh, you know, they, they take that option. Uh, very often, as, as you can tell with that 20% of revenue. Sure. And it's all remote. Um, is it Zoom connection as well? Is it audio, combination of both? How, how can people connect with CareWell? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's phone and it's uh, SMS and email. Right. Okay. Um, and, cool. and Facebook Messenger as well. Yeah, yeah, great. And how many uh, service, customer service reps? or at, what, what do you call your, your staff, the folks out in the field helping all these great people? It's our customer care team. And uh, we have about 30 or 35 now. That number is growing awesome. every week. Yeah, fantastic. And, and U.S. only for the moment, or do you also do some international support? Yep. So uh, all U.S.-based customer service, uh, right. trained uh, all by us. And uh, like I said, it's a very vigorous process to even um, be selected as a customer care agent. And um, so yeah. we're very, very careful with who we hire. You know, you've right. got to be... Um, not only you know great at customer service, but you've got to be a highly empathetic individual. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you know, like I said, we go through that three weeks of training uh, with that empathy training, um, and a lot of it actually comes from the fact. A lot of that training comes from the fact that John and I, um, who's my co-founder and husband, went through the Disney Institute. Yeah, and I was so, ask you about that. Yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about that. When did you two do that? So we did that. God, maybe 2017 or 18, okay. uh, right when we were starting to figure out, okay, how are we going to scale this team? How do we ensure consistency? You know, when we have 10 agents, 50 agents, 1,000 right. agents, et cetera. Right. Uh, and so we thought, okay, let's think about some companies that do this really well at scale and let's see if they offer mm. classes. And so we were looking at Disney Institute, we were looking at the Ritz, and we felt that Disney was a little bit more uh, like, like what we do. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so we ended up going and taking this uh, week-long course there in Orlando mm. and uh, learning about how to build the proper procedures, policies, training, hiring uh, programs to ensure that you can scale quality service. Um, and it was a really unique opportunity. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, 
uh, it, it was actually we were going to start sending, um, you know, our best agents to to go. Uh, but then COVID hit. Oh, and so wow. we haven't yeah. been able to do that. Uh, but it's uh, we do have a few uh, hires um, that, that we've made from Disney. So many of them have actually gone through that program because it's the program that Disney, uh, if you're an employee there, uh, right. requires everybody to go through. Yeah. So it's cool. really unique. And, and so a lot of the, the, the findings and the, that we learned there, uh, we've implemented uh, from day one. Well, that's a very good model to work from. I, I worked for Disney for 10 years and ended oh, up wow. in Orlando. Yeah. And, oh, my uh, gosh. Worked with a lot of people from the Institute. So I remember seeing that in your background. Oh, that's awesome. Well, now you and John run the show. You're both co-founders. How, how do you kind of divide and conquer? You know, there's a lot of other folks that are husband and wife teams that are perhaps listening and saying, yeah, okay, so what are some of the issues that you guys face and how do you resolve them? But let's start first with kind of the responsibilities. How do you guys divide and conquer on the job? Sure. So I... Uh... I'm more of like the the growth person, right? So I'm okay. thinking all the time about product, marketing, merchandising, uh, and engineering. And right. then John does all of the, what I would consider, I don't know, back office type things that make okay. sure that one, Operations. we don't get into trouble, yep, yeah. <laughs> that we are <laughs> paying our taxes, yeah. that right. people are getting paid, all of that, um, that make sure the engine is going and we don't run into to any problems. That's what he takes care of. Yeah. Um, cool. So it's... You know, a lot of times it's like we don't talk to each other all day because we, we manage right. completely separate teams. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I guess maybe that's one of the reasons why why it works so well. Uh, but also I think we're, you know, we're so different from each other. Um, mm. It's We always say we're, it's like fire and ice. And so that right. really helps us, you know, kind of balance uh, the job, the responsibilities, the pressures as well of, of running, a, a you know, a really fast growing uh, company. Well, you said you're very selective, obviously, with the people that you hire. And, you know, many of the folks that are listening, of course, are very interested about, you know, how you go about doing that. One of the questions I get asked so often is, how do you pick good people? So I'm going to ask you that. <laughs> you know, how do you go about really, you know, getting the very best people for those customer service agents? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's different looking for customer service agents uh, versus uh, the non-customer care team hires. Right, On right. the customer care team side, we've built out um, kind of a green flags, uh, uh, or it, basically it's an assessment. Um, right. So we'll we'll test you and, and ask you certain questions to make sure that you're aligned with the mission, uh, but also to make sure that you're going to like the job. You know, it, yeah. it, it is a difficult job to be a customer care agent. You're sure. answering, you know, hundreds of phone calls a day. Uh, most of them are very nice. Some of them are not, right? right. And right. Uh, you've got to be able to deal with that pressure from customers live and, and be able to de-escalate. Um, and, you know, it's it's a remote position as well. And, and you know, you're sitting in front of a computer. And so right. um, sometimes if you have, for example, worked at a grocery store and you're on your feet all day, uh, and you've never done a job like this, we want to make sure that you're going to actually enjoy it. Because if you enjoy your job, you're going to be better at it. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's, you know, an assessment that looks at, you know, are you right for the job? Are we right for you? Um, Is and it then, kind of a psychographic? Do they take it online? And They do. You, they take it and online. And yeah. Some, and you've got some uh, measurements that you mm -hmm. kind of record people against? Okay. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. And then we have also a red flags list. And so we're mm -hmm. constantly checking from... The hiring process, all even through training process, uh, that if we see anything, you know, any red flags that we, you know, we raise it, uh, right. we discuss it. We, you know, one of the, the core um, tenets of, of our company is being very direct and offering lots of feedback often yeah. and consistently. Um, and then, you know, if it doesn't work out, we, you know, then we say this is not the, you know, 
the, the right choice for both of us. Um, here's why. And, you know, uh, always, you know. And do they do that on the job or is that actually part of the interview process? It's part of the interview process yeah. all the way through uh, training. Um, yeah. So, you know, even there's folks who don't make it past training, right? Because at that right. point we can see, you know, are you up for the task? Can you handle some of the pressures of the job, uh, et cetera? And uh, so we train our trainers uh, to look for some of these these qualities. And then yeah. uh, we'll flag out the high performers and we'll, we'll try sure. to figure out, you know, well, what's really great about that person and how do they respond and how can we learn from them so that we can implement some of these things into the scripts that we use or into the training materials and things like that. Yeah. Awesome. And do you guys have an executive suite in place? Kind of how do you, you know, go beyond, you know, you and Jonathan's uh, running the day to day? Do you have a head of finance or, Mm -hmm. you know, head of operations or are you two pretty much divide and conquer and have a kind of lower level support team for everything else? Yeah, we've got uh, basically uh, four major kind of uh, executives. So it's me who's the CEO. John is the COO. Uh, we've got a CMO um, who, who manages the marketing team and, and, right. and helps me manage the analytics team as well. Um, and then we also have uh, our, my chief of staff, who, who's just absolutely critical uh, uh-huh. in helping us execute on a lot of these um, higher level uh, strategic uh, goals that we've set out to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our chief of staff also, uh, she used to be our uh, director of customer experience. Ah, um, yeah. And so she still, you know, is, is uh, relatively hands-on. We do have a director now who's great, uh, who's taken her position, who who um, our chief of staff, uh, our current chief of staff trained and, and went through the entire customer care process as an agent uh, awesome. all the way to director. And so, um, that's that's part one of the parts of the business that we're so proud of and and, and thankful mm-hmm. that we we took our time to uh, to build uh, from scratch and and iterate constantly uh, right. to get it to where it needs to be and we still have a long ways to go um, but but uh, for the size of company we're at I think we do a really excellent job uh, yeah. in that department. Every company kind of goes through growing pains, Bianca. What what have been some of the biggest challenges you've had in these four or five years of operations? Oof. Well, there's every single day <laughs> challenges start, right? <laughs> and there's, you know, small challenges can eat up as much as your time as big challenges. And so sure. I think the main challenge is time and prioritization and mm. making sure that that our team members know what priorities are um, and making sure that they're executing on that um, Two, you know, hiring the right team members uh, yeah. is, is difficult in us in an environment like this, right, where. I mean, we're setting out, first of all, to do something that no one else has done before, right? No one right. has created an e-commerce, high-touch experience mm. that is uh, dedicated to serving and supporting family caregivers at home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's one, right? It's like we're trying to figure that out. But two, yeah. we're trying to grow, uh, you know, in, in what normal companies grow 20 to 40 years in, in six or seven. Wow. Right. So it's it's a lot more pressure. We have to be very focused on metrics and tracking everything to make sure that mm. we are able to meet the goals that we've set out to meet. Um, and, you know, that environment um, is, is difficult. It's like being in a pressure cooker because uh, right. you've got to be, you know, again, tackling the small things and also focused on the big things. And you've got to do it really, really quickly. And if you mess up, you got to fix it and, and move on really quickly. Right, uh, right. So it doesn't give you a lot of time to decompress. And so, you know, one of the, 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 the challenges is making sure that people, we try to explain to people, you know, what it is that we're here for in the job description, the KPIs that, that we're looking for, the type of growth 
uh, that we're looking to meet so that they 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 come in and um, you know they, they know what what to expect right. um, and yeah. then two you know how do you keep a positive attitude when you're doing something just so challenging you know and how yeah. do you keep team morale up um, and so I again I think we've done a great job at doing this and setting our, our, our care values right up front and uh, establishing KPIs and baselines and making sure that people know if they're doing a good job or a bad job and right. being direct on how to help them grow. Um, and so there's plenty of challenges. I think uh, that the biggest two have been, uh, you know, people um, right. and um, and prioritization. How about leadership? Have you se- have you seen shifts already in your leadership style over these last four or five oh, years? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. What, what are, tell us about some of those. Um, so I think I mentioned already you know, really transitioning to everything being metrics based. I think right. it gives a lot right. more clarity uh, to to what you should be focused on every day. And uh, we have this concept where everybody is reporting on a daily basis their metrics publicly, mm. right? Mm. And um, and what that helps. Do you have a dashboard that, that, that you and John we have, manage? Or? Yeah, some of it is, is automated and our analytics right. team started about three months ago and they've done an excellent job, uh, mm. you know, <laughs> Basically whipping the data into shape because that's that's a challenge in itself, uh, right. but also making it user friendly and creating these dashboards. So some of it is automated and some of it our uh, team members still have to go in and manually pull on a daily basis. Sure. Um, and so everybody reports their metrics on a daily basis and tracks where we are and, and mm. tries to, to uh figure out, you know, uh, if we're behind or if we're ahead, you know, well, why? And explain that to the team so we can provide context or we can Mm. make suggestions on how we can work better together. And so trying to be really collaborative because it's a team effort, you know, merchandising can't be successful without marketing. Marketing can't be successful without CX. CX can't be successful without HR. Um, And, you know, trying to to bring a lot of clarity uh, to to the job. Well, you're still Fairly small, 35, 45 total employees today. Oh, we have like 75, 75. maybe 80. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> We've been growing a lot, I think, since I last spoke to you. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and, and do you have town halls? Do you bring people together? You know, How do you kind of disseminate culture and information? Yeah, that's a, it's a great uh, question. So before we would have basically, I believe it was quarterly or monthly um, all hands. Uh, right. But when we went remote and the team got bigger and bigger um, and not everyone was able to to go to every meeting course, uh, or yeah. be part of every decision, we decided to do um, all hands on a weekly basis so that everyone was right. caught up. And then we just uh, pulled that back to um, er, uh, on a biweekly basis. Right. Um, and so that's helped kind of, you know, set timelines and communicate, you know, well, here's the roadmap for HR and here's the roadmap for, uh, you know, engineering. And let's make sure that we're all aware of what's happening so that we can coordinate efforts, that we can ask the right questions and we can uh, know who to go for for information. Uh, So that's been really helpful. And, um, you know, apart from that, it's it's you know, we've got management guidelines uh, that we that we've created. So um, everyone in the company has one on ones with their direct reports on a weekly basis. Um, and everyone's uh, responsible for tracking their own success and, and owning that. Right. Um, you know, you're responsible for tracking your own metrics. You're responsible for your one on ones. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, how we run our business. Right. And, you know, culture is so important. And of course, it does pretty much flow from the CEOs. Hey, tell us a little bit about, you know, how would you describe the Carewell culture? And, you know, what, what's the wow about the company that attracts and keeps people there? 
Yeah. So the first thing is, you know, everybody who joins our company is uh, has to be mission aligned, you know, mm. uh, which which is an yeah. easy thing, I think, for us. Right. Because right. we're helping caregivers and, and I think 75 percent of Americans are going to be caregivers at, at one point in their lives. Mm. So everyone knows a caregiver or you've been a caregiver. Um, and you have personal experience with it, right? And so it's very mission aligned, very mission oriented. Um, two, it's very positive. Uh, you know, we're always, you know, praising each other. We've got a kudos mm. channel. Um, you know, we try to make it again. It's it's difficult what we're trying to accomplish, and the the lighter that we can make it, and the more positive we can make it, I think the the nicer of a time you'll have uh, mm. trying to accomplish something really hard. And mm. um, Three, I think we're very collaborative. Um, like I mentioned, you know, you can't work in a silo and be successful. Mm. Um, and there's so many good ideas from everybody at every mm. level of the company. Um, and we try to keep it, you know, very open. And sometimes, you know, we'll throw out dumb ideas on purpose just to get people comfortable. Because <laughs> uh, right. that's really where creativity comes from, right? It's sure. through comfort and it's through yeah. bad ideas that become great ones. Um, and so, you know, I think if I were to sum, sum it up, that, that's what it would be. What are some of the key characteristics that you look for in, in that recruiting process? I mean, I know we've, we've talked a little bit about how you go about doing it. You've got the online training and so forth. But if you kind of just synthesized it down to the, the two or three things that really make a difference, particularly with the folks that are on the customer care tree, what would those things be? Yeah, so mission alignment, you know, why care well? You know, what are the yeah. other jobs that you're looking for uh, to see, you know, are they aligned similarly to what we do and to our service? Um, right. Or are they ethos? just looking for another job? Yeah. Exactly, right? right. Um, two, you know, um, are you, do you have attention to detail, right? Are you trying mm. to understand the broader context as to what's happening, you know, within a situation? Um, and then three, you know, how would you handle situation and, and just putting them in situationals and, and trying to get, you know, their honest feedback and, and what they would do? Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the best we could do. And again, we, we go through that assessment, uh, there's, you know, multiple rounds right. of interviews and, right. um, sometimes we get it right. And sometimes we, we get it wrong. Sure. Um, sometimes you can't tell till someone's on the job. And, um, we also have, I think I alluded to, um, in the management framework, we've got 30, 60, 90s. Um, so, you know, on the 30th day, we'll, we'll, you know, the manager re meets with um, the individual or the new hire on the 60th and on the 90th day to provide that constant and consistent feedback. Right. Um, right. And then typically, you know, we'll, we'll know if somebody's, um, you know, a hit or a miss within the first 60 days. Pretty quick. Yeah. 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 Now, are you doing a lot of the interviewing still? Do you, do you get involved in that or is that more kind of down the, down the line of authority, so to speak? Yeah, it depends. So on CX, I'm not involved at all anymore. Right. Um, I haven't been for quite a while um, yeah. since, uh, you know, Jonathan, my co-founder, who's the COO, manages that side. So he was involved and in, in hired, you know, the first, I don't know, 10 or 20 agents. Right. Um, and then now we've got an HR team and they go through a lot of the screenings and, and the processes and then they'll tie in the, the customer care team manager as well as the director and the trainer. Uh, to make sure that they're all aligned, that this person would be, a, you know, a successful candidate. Um, so it's a very hands-off process. Um, sure. But again, they're following a lot of the processes and the procedures that we set up by doing it ourselves. Um, but you so, do get involved from time to time, maybe in a, I'm certainly in a direct report or maybe one or oh, two Oh, absolutely. Down. Yeah, yeah. What, so what, I still have what communication. Do you zero, what, do you, <laughs> yeah, what do you zero in on? What, you know, what, what kind of questions do you ask? What, what gives you the most insight? Yeah, I always look for, you know, entrepreneurialness. Uh, mm. if that's even a word, right? So, you know, what did you accomplish? <laughs> Have you yeah. started businesses before? Have you been interested in doing that? Right. Um, and, and that gives me a lot of insight because, um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur myself. A lot of the, the, the people who have been very successful here are the ones who 
who think like that, right? Like a small business, we don't have all the resources, we don't have a massive engineering team. So a lot of times you're gonna have to figure it out by finding a a piece of software that can do the job of an engineer for you. Um, Or, you know, you're you're just gonna have to write up a job description yourself because we don't have an entire HR department to be, you know, creating those things. And so seeing, you know, how down and dirty somebody can get um, as well as, yeah, exactly. Um, And so, you know, level of ownership is very important. The mission alignment, like I I mentioned, that's that's across the board for everybody. Um, And then there is this level of which, you know, I think you asked me earlier, how has kind of your leadership or what some of the things that you've learned? I think one of the things I've learned um, is that it's really important to um, I don't know how else to say this other than like to vibe with the the person that you're going to be working with. Right. It should feel like. Um, you can be Empathy, open and awesome. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so sometimes, yeah. you know, you, you, you don't click and, right. uh, and that's okay. Right. That's, yeah. that's a good thing, right. That not everyone's going to click. Right. Um, and so we're looking for that factor of like, could you mesh well with our team? Could we work with you? Are you open to receiving feedback? You know, how do you respond to feedback? Can you handle, you know, high pressure situations, tracking metrics? Is that there's some people who are drawn to that. Uh, and then there's some people who just absolutely, you know, that's not for them. And, and that's right. great. It, you know, that's just not care well. Um, so a lot of these, you know, discussions that we have with candidates and a lot of the the green flags and red flags, um, we want to make sure that we are, uh, that they are a good fit for us, but also that we're a good fit for them. Yeah, um, and so sense. we have, you know, these processes across the board, not just in CX, but also uh, across the rest of the team. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we're just about out of time, but we always ask our CEO guests uh, one last question, Bianca, and that's uh, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone who maybe has their eyes on the corner office themselves coming up through an organization or or like you has some entrepreneurial tendencies and wants to run their own company someday? I mean, do it. You know, I think a lot of (laughs) it's really scary. Just do it. Try it, right? Um, But, you know, you don't need anything to start a business. It's nice to know accounting. It's nice to know these things. But you can always ask for advice. You know, one of the things that I think has been most surprising to me is how open people are to advising and mentoring uh, people that they don't even know, people like me. Um, And the the best, and I always say, like, you know, (laughs) I've spent a lot of money. I've put all of my savings into this business, you know, versus going and getting my MBA. And I can assure you that this is a a much uh, more practical, realistic, (laughs) and, uh, you know, uh, it's definitely more difficult. um, But a lot of it is is having the courage uh, and the bravery to just do it and know that at the end of it, you're going to walk away with skills that you would have otherwise never had um, and experiences that, you know, you can take away. Um, And if it doesn't work out, you know, You're, you're going to have something, so yeah, yeah, that, that you didn't have before. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Bianca Padilla, co-founder and CEO of Carewell, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you again so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.